Okay, so we left off last time, just as we entered uh, chapter 18 of uh, the book of Acts. Uh, let's take a look at where we are in Paul's second missionary journey. Quick summary. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have a split. Barnabas takes their original route. Uh, Paul decides to go up this way, checks back through Galatia uh, to the churches that he wrote to in the first letter of the Galatians. Winds up over here, comes to Philippi, where the Philippians live. Comes around Thessalonica. He starts a church there, preaching the gospel, a bunch of new believers. He's not there very long. Uh, nobody really knows exactly, but we're guessing maybe a few months. Relatively speaking, a short amount of time. Uh, goes to Berea. They're getting the, uh, run him down to uh, try to get him to Corinth. They stop in Athens, and we read uh, how he preached to the Athenians. And uh, it's really a great example of how to adjust your message for your audience. Virtually everywhere Paul preached, he was preaching to Jewish Christians, gave him a lot of Old Testament scriptures, rehearsed the history of the Jewish people, blah, 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 blah. When he's speaking to these pure pagans, he doesn't mention any of that stuff. He's not quoting from the Bible at all. He's telling them the truth of the Bible but not necessarily quoting word for word because they don't understand it. Uh, I would make the argument that you just learning a bunch of scriptures and throwing verses at people and numbers of chapters and whatever to them is probably not the smartest way, not necessarily the most effective way to do it. You can still share the truth of God's word, uh, but to try to talk to them in a way they can understand. And that's what Paul does in Athens. All right, so he's there. Some people become believers, but then he gets to Corinth. Now he gets to Corinth, and, uh, and he's going to be there for a year, a good year and a half uh, in his ministry in Corinth. Uh, we got to about verse 4, but let's go ahead and start back at verse 1 of chapter 18, pick it up in context. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So we got Priscilla and Aquila this uh, super couple. Uh, they were there because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to get out of Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker. Paul was a tent maker, as were these two. This is how these people supported themselves. They worked with their own hands uh, and then preached the gospel as they could. Uh, and Paul often wrote about this. He did this intentionally, even though he had every right to financial support for them, as does any pastor who ministers to his congregation has a right to be supported by that congregation. He said, even though I have this right, I will not take it. I don't want anyone to ever say I did this for the money and that he was above reproof and reproach. So uh, he supported himself until uh, the other guys joined up with him because he went ahead with them. Then they showed up. He was able to go full time because <laughs> then they obviously made the tents. So... Um, it says, he, because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed with them and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy now catch up, because he was left, they were left back in Macedonia, then Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Why well, was he able to do that now? Because Paul and Silas and these guys were helping to generate the income. So it wasn't that necessarily Paul spent all his time. He gets, gets to a place where he's still able to just a preach full time, but he's not taking money from the church. His, his team, his 
evangelistic ministry, if you will, is raising their own money and working for it. So Paul now devotes himself exclusively to preaching and teaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, Paul, now at some point, we don't know what triggers this. Uh, We don't know if it's just them specifically or if he's speaking about Jews in general. At some point, he just has it with these people. Again, he's been there. He's there for an extended amount of time. They're giving him grief. They don't want to believe in the gospel. He and they become abusive towards him. So he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul at this, now we don't know. Some say that that's the way he did it from then on. Uh, certainly that's the way he did it in the city. He stopped trying to go and reason with the Jews is the bottom line. He said, man, I'm just taking this message to the non-Jews. You guys don't want to hear it. Fooey on you. I tried your blood's on your own hand, heads, and I'm going to the Gentiles. So it says, then Paul left the synagogue and he went right next door <laughs> to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. That had to mess. So when he moved over from the synagogue, the synagogue leader had become a Christian by this point. His entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So he makes this shift. I'm not going to mess with these guys anymore. We're just going to share the gospel with whoever wants to hear it. Now, it says here that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And this is what the Lord tells him. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, oftentimes when you read the scriptures, you get the sense that God is constantly talking to him in visions and dreams and revelations. Years are clicking by as we're reading all this. this they're, they're not really giving a sense of the time frame. At time, these incredible men had amazing visions and revelations. And dreams. We don't know that this was a consistent flow. I think to a large degree, they lived by faith and just did whatever the Lord had told them the last time the Lord had talked to them. And they don't need... My message from that is you don't need God telling you every five seconds what to do. He's given you the principles. He's given you the basic outline to, to live out your life. Go live it out. Don't sit around waiting for revelations. People who think like that are nimrods, <laughs> in my opinion. So anyway, he has this vision now. And the Lord has to tell him, don't be afraid. Why would he have to tell him to not be afraid? Well, obviously... He was struggling with fear at this point. I mean, Paul, the apostle, the great apostle, was struggling. Apparently, I mean, there's no reason the Lord's got to say, hey, don't worry about things if you're not worrying about things. I mean, he, he was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, by this time, you got to remember, almost everywhere he goes, he gets, <laughs> he gets arrested and he gets the snot kicked out of him. Remember, he's the Philippians. I believe it's where it was. He gets taken and they beat his back bloody and... I mean, he's having a rough time. Everywhere he goes, he gets persecuted at some point. One tends to get a little nervous about things. If everywhere you go, they try to kill you. Uh, He's a human being, just like anybody else, and I think this really started to mess with him. So the Lord comes and says, listen, relax. It's going to be okay, and I am going to protect you in a special way. No one's going to uh, uh, harm you. I have many people in this city. He says, there's a lot of people he wants to see get saved. So he gives them a special protection. Now, 
If I'm Paul, I'd be saying, how about we make this a long-term deal? <laughs> how about I get protected everywhere I go? And I stop getting the snot kicked out of me. And how come I didn't have those special protections in these other places? I don't know. God is God. We got to serve him. We know that we need to serve him uh, when times are good, when times are bad. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we're persecuted. It's just life. All right? That's why this is not heaven. At some point, we get out of here and all these challenges stop. So anyway, he gets this special promise from the Lord. Look, you're going to be okay. I'm going to protect you. And then it tells us in verse 11 that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now, this is where he uh, sits now, and he reflects back on this church that he has up in Thessalonica. He didn't get a chance to spend much time with them, these guys up here. So he decides to write his next letter. Remember, the first letter or epistle written in the New Testament was from James to basically the Christian Jews that were spread all over the place. He said to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So James is really the first epistle. Then Paul from Antioch writes back to these guys trying to settle this fight between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians. And he goes off on all that. He was rather irritated. And now we get to his, his next letter. So this is Paul's second epistle in the New Testament in terms of uh, order. And as I've pointed out, the New Testament and the Old Testament is not set in order. I don't know why it's set the way it is anyway. So he writes to these people and, and to share with them. But before we go there, they give us, he, he goes on just a little bit here, uh, Luke, in describing, uh, pointing out an example of how God protected Paul in Corinth, okay? So he says, Jesus shows up, says, I'm gonna protect you. Don't worry about things. It's all gonna be good. Paul stays there for a year and a half, and then he gives us this little story. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Now remember, these we just read, it says the, the Jews became, they opposed Paul and became abusive. And I said, when they say abusive, I don't think they just were calling him names. They literally were really being rough on him. And in this case, they uh, uh, made a united attack to have Paul arrested and brought so they could be, you know, arrested and beaten again or killed or whatever, you know. So they gave him a lot of grief. That's why Paul finally said, I'm done with you guys. I'm just going to preach the gospel. So these guys make this attack on Paul. They drag him into the place of judgment. And they make these false charges. They say, this man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Well, just as Paul was about to speak, um, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So they come and say, listen, he's, he's teaching things that are contrary to the law. And the law they're talking about is probably the law of Moses based on what Gallio says here. Uh, or it could be making an, uh, an accusation that it was against Roman law or stuff, but it sounds like it was Jewish law. They say, look, what he's doing is not right. And he's doing things contrary to the law of Moses. And, the, and we're all upset. And a lot of times these leaders would placate uh, these religious leaders. Uh, the, <laughs> the greatest example 
uh, if you remember, it was Pontius Pilate when they, the religious leaders brought in Jesus. Pontius Pilate didn't want to crucify Jesus. He didn't even want to arrest Jesus. Why? Just let him go. What? And then he finds, well, let's, you know, let's have him flogged and then let him go. And uh, they raised such a fit. And Pilate, wanting to placate these leaders for political reasons or whatever, finally washed his hands. Okay, you know, uh, ordered Jesus to be crucified. Well, this kind of stuff went on a lot. So these Jewish leaders had a certain amount of say in these various communities, and they would bring a lot of grief into Paul's life, as we've read over and over again, as they persecuted him, had him arrested, whatever. Uh, so they're trying to pull the same thing here. Well, Gal uh, Gallio basically says, no, which is what, what uh, Luke is showing is how the Lord fulfills his promise, says, I'm going to protect you. Well, what happens right away? Paul gets drugged into court. You know, it's like, oh boy, here we go again. Lord promised, but he's getting ready to make his defense. He doesn't even have to. Galileo says, you guys and your stupid laws and things, get out of here. And verse 16 says, so he drove them off. Very short verse in the Bible. <laughs> One of the shortest. The shortest verses, of course, Jesus wept. This is right up there. So he drove them off. Verse 16, done. Get out of here. Well, then the crowd, remember the Jews got all these people in a crowd, all in a lather. <laughs> yeah, let's get these guys, let's get these guys. When the crowd there, then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him <laughs> in front of the proconsul, who was Gallio, but he showed no concern, whatever. So it all backfired in his face. He tries to get all these people gathered together. Let's get this Paul, you know, this troublemaker. And they go in front of Gallio. Gallio says, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Well, these guys are ticked off now that, you know, either uh, the Jewish leader had caused embarrassment to them or it cost them some political capital or whatever. Anyway, they turn around, they just start beating the snot out of the, uh, <laughs> of the Jewish leader who's bringing the persecution. Now, this has got to be interesting. Paul's going. He's going to make his defense. He's probably figuring, oh, here we go again. I guess, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to get beat up again. Uh, uh, and then he's watching as they all turn on the, on the leader and beat the snot out of him. And it says, Gallio, he didn't care. Beat him. Why do I care? Get out of here. So it's like God intervened and just shut that deal down. They couldn't mount any persecution to Paul in that city. Because Jesus had come to Paul and said, listen, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about anything. I've got a lot of work for you to do here. There's a lot of people here who need to hear the gospel. And Corinth becomes a major player in Christianity, in early Christianity. Corinth is a big deal. Uh, and we've got a couple of letters eventually that Paul writes to the Corinthians. And we have it in our Bible, First and Second Corinthians, two letters. And they're big letters. Uh, we'll have our hands full when we get into it with the uh, Corinthian letters. So that's basically what happens. So now we know that Paul is sitting in Corinth. He's there a year and a half. He's got special dispensation from the Lord to just operate freely. Nobody's coming after him. And the guys who did want him gotten the snot beat out of them instead. Just totally turned the tables on them, which was very cool. So now let's go. We're going to pause here. And now let's go because... And, and look at this letter, these two letters. He actually wrote them back to back. So we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to go right into 2 Thessalonians, because he, right from Corinth there, wrote these two letters to this church. 
Now, what's interesting about this letter that's really different so far now in the Christian experience, the first letter was from James to all the Jewish Christians. Uh, it was written a lot like the book of Proverbs. It's kind of like the Christian book of Proverbs. A lot of little simple pieces of advice. Uh, there's not one overwhelming theme in the book of James. It's a great, great letter. Uh, great practical wisdom from Christian standpoint. But he's writing this to all these Jewish Christians. The next letter that pops up in Christianity, the next epistle is, as I said, Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he's really wrestling with some of these people who are struggling with the idea of, well, if non-Jews become Christians, don't they have to become Jews first? Don't they have to get circumcised? Don't they have to obey all the law and stuff? And Paul has this big wrestle with them. He eventually goes down, after writing that letter, down to Jerusalem. They have this big council, and everybody finally agrees. Non-Jewish Christians do not have to do all those things. So for all practical purposes, that is now a settled matter. Uh, but still a lot of reference in that book, that letter, of Galatians, we'll uh, talk about Abraham and the patriarchs and Moses and the law and all that kind of stuff. Now we get to this letter. This is the first letter now that is just to people who come to know Jesus. They're not Jewish people, uh, by and large. They're not, so there's not a lot of that reference uh, throughout here, certainly not like uh, he did in uh, Galatians. Uh, and so this is, he's basically writing to these pagans who hear the message of Christianity. They experience the power of the gospel. It changes them. This is a big deal. These are some of the first Christians ever to become Christians. They are jazz. This is exciting. Paul really can even, can't even be with them all that long. So he writes a letter back to these people. And these people would be much more like us. We weren't, most of us were not Jewish people. We don't have a big history of centuries of, you know, relationship with God or anything like that. We're just a bunch of people wandering around and in our sin-broken, empty state, uh, by God's grace, we cried out to Jesus and he comes into our life, he changes us, and that's the kind of people now that Paul is writing to. So let's jump in. First Thessalonians, the first chapter and the first verse. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy uh, is who he's headlighting this with. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Paul says we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Very poetic writing. Paul really was a brilliant, brilliant man. So though, though, though he's putting that down out there, this is what we're so excited about, what God is doing in your life. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. But uh, so, so let's take a look at this. He says, we came to you and we shared the gospel with you. But it wasn't just a bunch of words. 
And the truth is the gospel is never about just words. It's about God revealing himself to people. Those of you who are listening to me right now, you know, whether you're uh, sitting in Green Bay or in Appleton or Stevens Point or one of the home meetings or online with the internet or however you're doing this, uh, uh, as, as believers in Jesus, you know that your life was changed by the power of God. God did something in you. Some of you, it was rather dramatic. Others, not so dramatic, but yet you cannot deny at all that God did a work in you. You know it happened. Some people, again, it's like heaven and earth moves and they have dramatic stories about their lives. Others, very simple, but they're both legit. And they don't always have to be, you know, like Paul, Paul's stories, man, I'm going up to kill a bunch of Christians. I get knocked to the ground. This light tells me, why are you persecuting me? I'm blind. All of a sudden, this guy prays for me. I'm, you know, I mean, he is a dramatic, dramatic conversion story, which he shares uh, again and again in his life. Well, that was great, but not everybody has that. A lot of people, they're simple conversion experiences, man, I just touched in my heart and changed from the inside out. I mean, that's it. Uh, One of the great uh, men of God in the history of the church, uh, John Wesley, who started the Methodist church, uh, he was an amazing man of God, used in incredible ways. His testimony was he heard a gospel message and he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed, unquote, that's it. I felt my heart, quote, strangely warmed. That's his testimony. Seriously, you can't get any more basic than that. But then this guy, and he changes the world that he's living in at the time. John Wesley was a major player in, uh, in the Christian experience uh, in his lifetime. Uh, very, very powerful. So not everybody has to be like Paul that has this dramatic, you know, you know road to, uh, you know, uh, transformation where he sees a light and gets blinded and, and, and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, some people, it's just very simple. But no matter what, the truth of the matter is, Christianity, when the gospel is preached, is accompanied by the power of God where you experience God. Some, again, it's a dramatic thing. I know people who, you know, were strung out heroin addicts, man, got saved, and they were set free, instantaneously set free. Others, you know, they were into this, that, and the other, and suddenly they were slaves to that, and boom, their life was changed. My life, man, all the stuff I was into at the time was a young a teenager and the drugs and all the stuff that I was doing, and I asked Jesus in my heart, boom, everything instantly changed in my life. You couldn't do that by yourself. It wasn't, and, and I'll tell you, the people who experience this know it's not them doing it. You could just get real discipline and real strict and try and straighten out your own life. And, and some people actually are successful in doing that. Even people who are drug addicts and whatever. At some point, they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and by sheer will, uh, they make things happen. And kudos to them for doing that. Certainly better for them. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God shows up and he changes stuff. And boom, things are different. And again, some stories are more dramatic than others. And even if yours is this least dramatic if you're like John Wesley, all you can say is, man, I felt something different on the inside. It's, you still know it's God. It's God who did it. You didn't do it. And the power of the gospel showed up. And what he's saying is, listen, you guys, you know when we shared this message with you, it, it wasn't driven by fancy words. It was driven by 
uh, the power of God, the Holy Spirit showing up and did amazing things. And in some cases, we're doing dramatic miracles. And let me take time here. Just, uh, I'm kind of got a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but it's what I do. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching this. So you guys listening to me are a smaller minority than our whole congregation. Sadly, we're working desperately on that, trying to get more people to take the time. Listen to the scriptures. Wow, we sit there and listen to you for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> not particularly... <laughs> You know, it's not like it's entertainment. There's no music. There's no juggling cats or anything like that. At some point, we just it's a discipline. We come and we listen uh, to the Word of God. So you guys will hear this again because I'm going to be preaching and sharing this in some Sundays to come. But it has to do with this idea of sharing the gospel. Uh, I was talking to uh, our pastors here in our presbytery at the church, and um, and I know this is true with many people. Uh, we're talking about how it seems like some of the coolest miracles show up when the gospel is presented for the first time in someone's life. I mean, it's like there that all of a sudden a dramatic healing will occur or something. In fact, some of them are so dramatic. And if you've never, see, that's why I want to encourage our church to get out there and share the gospel. Watch what it does in people and be bold. Pray for people. So, I don't know, man, I've, I've had a sore knee for 18 years. I've been praying it hasn't. I don't know why it's different, but there's something unique when they're first hearing the gospel. See what happens. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing to watch. I have seen stuff. And when it happens, when you're praying for someone who's first coming to Jesus, and they have a dramatic miracle happen in their life, you're almost more shocked than they are. It's like, really? It's like, wow. Uh, and it's fun to watch. You say, well, why don't we see more miracles and stuff? I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons for it. As a devout Christian, you're in this for a while. You need to grow and mature and trust the Lord. I'm just saying, you want to see most of the miracles that you read about in the New Testament is when the gospel is presented for the first time. There's something unique. God loves to show up and just, hello, I'm here. Uh, and, and it's amazing. Uh, Pastor Joe, if you ever get a chance, sit down with Pastor Joe. Ask him about some of his missionary stories or anybody who's gone out and and anyone who's done this will tell you just dramatic stories of people who come to hear the gospel. And Joe's will tell you stories of people that they prayed for in some of these uh, really obscure places where he was at. You know, someone was really sick, someone was blind, someone couldn't hear, and they'd come to hear the gospel. They'd pray for him, and all of a sudden they could see. And it was like, really? He's like, wow, I mean, you're more shocked than anybody, and you're the one supposed to be having the faith. All of a sudden they can hear? What? All of a sudden, they can walk. They couldn't walk before. I mean, dramatic stories. Well, people say, well, how come we don't see this in the everyday? I don't know. I'm just saying, I think the explanation, by and large, is the difference between the presentation of the gospel for the first time uh, and then growing in faith to where you can expect God to see miracles. I think there's something unique. And certainly, Paul talks about it when the preaching of the gospel came with the power of God. There is something unique. You want to see miracles? You want to see God do stuff? I challenge you, share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus and ask for a miracle in their life and see what happens. I remember some years ago, uh, Pastor Ross was working with the teenagers on the other side of the building. And there's this young man coming and he's just a pain in the rear as many obstinate teenagers can be. He didn't really want to get serious about Jesus. He just liked showing up because he liked to flirt with the girls, you know, that were around here. Uh, but Ross was talking to him and trying to get across to him. And 
one day he stops by and, the, and he's kind of having a hard time moving and, and uh, uh, Ross says, what's, what's the matter? He says, oh man, I don't know, I, I hurt my back. I don't know if it was a sporting thing he did or something, but he's complaining about the pain in his back and stiff and uh, Ross says, well, let me pray for you and without waiting for permission, just <laughs> Ross laid his hands on it and prayed for him and all of a sudden the pain completely lives, leaves this kid's body. And he is shocked and he cries out, holy shh. And you can imagine what that word was. So as loud as he could out, his response wasn't, praise the Lord, God answered my prayer. <laughs> he wasn't even believing in Jesus at this point. All of a sudden he goes, holy shit, because all of a sudden it's gone. It freaks him out and he runs out of the building because it just, Why? Because the preaching of the gospel is, I'm telling you, it is one of the most dramatic areas where God shows up and does dramatic things in people's lives. And if you say, man, I wish I could see more stuff, share the gospel with people, people who don't know Jesus. Sometimes people are afraid to pray for someone and say, I'm going to pray for you because they're saying, well, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? And then they get mad at God and they won't believe in Jesus. You're really thinking the wrong way. What you ought to do is look for opportunities to pray for people and watch God show up. Because when God shows up and shows them, hey, I am the living God, you get a real conversion now. And it's not just your fancy words or arguments that wins them to Jesus. Look for opportunities. Here's a story. This just happened to me. I get an email like three days ago or whatever it was. This lady said, look, at I, someone said I should ask you I, uh, my life's a mess. Uh, I got pregnant with my boyfriend, even though I have a couple other kids. I'm divorced, but I'm dating this guy. We, we're going to use protection. I thought we were being careful. I mean, she's talking to me, right? I'm thinking, do you know? Do you know who I am? I mean, you know, I just assumed she was a Christian who was acting badly. And she's giving me the story of why she's sleeping with this guy. But now I'm pregnant and my body is, is, is failing. I am sick. I'm in liver failure. The doctors are telling me that if I, I need to abort this baby or I'm going to die. And, uh, you know, I, I, someone said I should ask you about what to do. Well, <laughs> that's pretty heavy, right? So my immediate answer to her is, that, look, that kind of email, those kind of questions, it's, it's not really appropriate in email to somebody you don't know. Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to your church community and, and work it through with them, you know, because, you know, I can't be the pastor to the world, for heaven's sakes. I have a hard enough time <laughs> convincing you people <laughs> about how to live your lives. I can't do this for everyone. So I just said, check with your own pastor. So she emails me back and says, I, I don't have a pastor. I never go to church. I don't even believe in God. Uh, what do I do? I said, okay, you know, so I'm thinking... I write her says, well, why don't you contact your local uh, Right to Life chapter? Because these are wonderful people. They're all over the country, and they'll come in, and they would work with her and counsel her and, and, and give them their advice. I'm assuming that most people's advice would be, quite frankly, if she was in my church, my advice would be, and don't get mad at me if, if you don't agree with it, but I, I am of the opinion that in the case of the life of the mother, that you go in favor of the life of the mother. I mean, Nobody here likes abortion, I promise you. We certainly don't use it as birth control or some other stupid thing, but if you're going to die if you have this baby, I would suggest you probably should release that baby. I mean, that's, 
And I would assume that somebody, just who knows how to deal with these issues, could walk her through it or whatever. I mean, we're talking some serious stuff. Somebody writes you a, a question like that and they want to know what you think they should do? Whoa, that's pretty heavy. So I try to push it to the pastor. She doesn't have a pastor. I try to push it to the right to life people. So she writes me back and says, what's right to life? I, I never heard of that. So where do you live? She said, I live in New Zealand. Ah, okay, New Zealand. Uh, where do you live in New Zealand? Because I have friends, pastors, friends in New Zealand. They live in the North Island in Auckland. Well, of course, she lives in the South Island, an area called Wellington. And I said, well, let me contact that pastor and see if he knows of some pastor in your area, because what you really need, basically, is God in your life. I mean, you know, I still wasn't answering her question directly one way or the other. So I contact my pastor friend and said, oh, great, I'll, I'll uh, try and find a pastor or something. Well, the next day, before he can even do that, the lady says, listen, after talking to you, I just went online, and I looked for a church in my area, and I'm going to go see a pastor. I thought, great. She emails me back the next day. I went and saw this pastor. I got totally and completely saved and he prayed for me, and we're trusting God for a miracle, and he says he believes God's going to heal me. I'm going, wow. And I got to tell you, I just got to tell you, my fear was, is what I'd said a little bit earlier. My initial fear was, oh no, what if she doesn't get better, and then that'll hurt her faith, and, and then she won't believe in Jesus. I mean, you know, listen, I'm as human as anybody else. I just want people to believe in Jesus, whether they're sick or not. So here's this pastor saying, we're praying for your trust in God. We're prophesying you're going to be healed. She says, so I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. And I'm like, oh boy. First of all, I'm thrilled that now this lady, after just, and I'm not sharing the gospel with her. I'm just trying to point her to a place where she can hear the gospel. She gets saved because somebody said, you need to ask Mark, your life is a mess. You don't know God. You're an atheist. You're pregnant. You're on the verge of death. You don't want to abort this baby. What should you do? Ask Mark Gunger. How does that even happen when you're in New Zealand? I don't know. Apparently, <laughs> some people know who I am. So I'm just like it's, like, it's almost inappropriate. The whole thing was just bizarre. I'm trying to push this lady away. I finally point her to the direction of a church. She writes me. She's gloriously saved. She is lit up like there's no tomorrow. And so excited because God's going to heal her now because this pastor prayed for her. And I kind of went, thrilled that she becomes a Christian. I get an email. What is it, yesterday now? It comes back. She says, I went to the doctor today and the doctors did the test. They called me back in and said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. She was in liver failure. She's facing death if she doesn't get rid of this baby. She's bad. She's in bad case. Uh, she gives her heart to Jesus. The power of the gospel shows up. God does a miracle in her body and she's completely healed. Now, I know of people, <laughs> some very close to me, who have gone through terrible sicknesses, who've struggled. It took a lot of time to get to a place of faith to see God turn that around. Others who friends who've succumbed to diseases and this. Some of you listening to me, you struggle, you got this ache, this pain, you pray, and it doesn't ever seem to go away. You know, others, they, they lose their child, they lose their, their husband, their wife, you know. And again, why sometimes we see miracles in those situations, sometimes we don't. Uh, we don't see a lot of instant stuff, but usually when you see the instant stuff, it's when the gospel is presented. And sure enough, here's this lady, comes in a complete mess, who just hours ahead of it, didn't believe in Jesus, a complete atheist, asked Jesus in heart, gets prayed, is completely healed, and I gotta tell you, this lady is pretty excited today. 
So she writes me <laughs> and says, my boyfriend and I are so excited and we're listening to your podcast and we've decided we're going to get married because we're going to quit faunicating. F-A-U-N-I, or however she spelt it. We laughed hysterically when we saw it. Apparently she's not familiar with the word of fornicating, which is a biblical term, which we try not to use biblical terms to confuse people. But anyway, uh, she's not fornicating anymore. And she's marrying this guy and his life is, I mean, everybody's life has dramatically changed. This lady shows up and this is the kind of person you could write a letter to and say, you know, the gospel didn't come to you by words, but with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, which is exactly what Paul said. And I can't help but think one of the reasons we don't see more of the power, Holy Spirit, and deep conviction in people's lives is because we're failing to present the simplicity of the gospel to unbelievers. I challenge you to do this. Do this. Talk to people. Look for opportunities for God to do something in somebody's life and just show up in a dramatic way. You say, what if he doesn't answer? It's not on you. That's on God. Just do it. Be bold enough to get a chance to experience God. The thing is, is that if there is... Uh, certainly, Paul talks about it in this sense whenever he talks about the power of the gospel and the salvation, that, that the power is always tied to the presenting of the gospel. He talks about it in that sense. Certainly, uh, the evidence from people who've ever done this and presented the gospel to people who don't know Christ and seen quick miracles and stuff in their life. I've seen it. I, I've just shared some stories that people have seen it. It's fun to watch. Why is it unique there? I don't know, but I do think it's something unique. I think there is something unique. This is my little sermon that I'll someday in the weeks to come share with everybody and challenge them. Is that in the presenting of the message, God made it, we broke it, but Jesus fixed it. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, he can set things right in your life. When people respond to that message, God tends to show up in pretty dramatic ways. Sometimes they get saved and they have a miracle. Other times people actually experience the miracle first and they're so freaked out, then they get saved. It's quite amazing to watch. God loves to show up. There is great power. You want to see the power of God? There's great power in presenting the simple message of salvation to a lost and dying world around you. And it's great fun. And I want to challenge you to do that. Anyway, this undoubtedly is the kind of thing Paul is talking about here. Because whenever he would preach the gospel, he saw miracles happen. Now, was li Paul's life constantly surrounded by dramatic miracles? Apparently not. Remember in Galatians, he writes to the Galatians, you remember the reason I spent so much time with you guys because I was so sick. Sick? You're raising people from the dead. You're doing stuff that we would sit and pay big money to see today. Holy cow. And now you're sicker than a dog? How come he didn't get healed right away? I don't know. He even writes about Christians now. Uh, he'll be talking about what happens to Christians when they get sick and when they die. I, <laughs> I know sometimes people get frustrated with this. It's not that God is holding out on you when you struggle in your person of faith and you do get sick and this and that. And you you get into a place of faith and you turn things around, you experience some healing miracles and stuff, but a lot of people, they just never experience any of that and they are in a place of faith. Why is that, Pastor? I don't know. I don't know. It's way above my pay grade. <laughs> I don't know. Now, Paul writes at times, we'll see in some of his epistles, some of the reasons. Sometimes there were reasons people were getting sick in the church and dying. We'll run into those. 
and it's all tied to inappropriate things they were doing and sins and bad behavior that was, was causing problems in the church. We'll get there and all of that. All I'm saying is a lot of the miracles, I think these guys knew this. There was something unique in the presentation of the gospel. And as people start believing what God does in their lives, and it's fun to watch. And I think Paul enjoyed it immensely. And this is what he did. And I'm telling you, this stuff still happens today. Well, I've never seen it. It's because you're not sharing the gospel. Share the gospel. Be bold. See what God does in people's lives. All right. So that's what happened from uh, all the stuff in deep conviction. And the latter part of verse 5, he starts talking. Again, where they stick these verses always don't make sense. The next thought now is he talks about how we lived among you. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, even though God's doing miracles and people are getting saved, dramatic things are showing up, they still had their struggles. People were still suffering as Christians. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which is in all this uh, area. This is Macedonia. Everybody's being encouraged because this church is so getting it. So many people are responding to Jesus. Their faith is very powerful and effective. Uh, he says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, you do, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Chapter 2 in the last remaining minutes here. Now you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Again, what is he talking about? I think he's talking about this unique thing that God does when you present the gospel and, and some of the miracles. So you know it wasn't without results what was happening. He said, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageous in Philippi, which is back here. Now remember, uh, Philippi is, Philippi, or however you say it, uh, is where they arrest Paul and these guys uh, for virtually no reason. They beat the snot out of them. I mean, when they got whipped back then, it wasn't nanny, nam, nanny, mamsy, whatever. I mean, they just got nailed. Their backs are ripped to shreds. They get thrown into jail. We just read the story. Remember, they're singing and praising God at midnight, not complaining. An earthquake comes, shakes loose everything, opens the door. The jailer was going to commit suicide because he thought the they had escaped, but they hadn't. The jailer winds up getting saved. His whole family winds up getting saved. God is glorified. And then the next morning, they announce that Paul can leave. And Paul's mad. Paul was really hoarse. Now, we don't see this a lot of times, but in this situation, there was something about it, uh, primarily because the way the justice system was carried out was just really wrong. He, as a Roman citizen, should have never been arrested like that and beaten without a trial. And that's what they did to him. Remember, Paul told them uh, what they had done. I'm a Roman citizen. You guys messed up. They freaked. Paul said, you tell them if they want us to leave, they need to come down here and escort us out. And they did exactly that. And Paul was so mad about that. He's still writing about it. Okay? Now, it's interesting. He'd been suffered in a lot of places, but there was something about that. And I talked about last week. You know, sometimes it's okay as... Uh, as citizens of a country to get mad about the way laws and stuff are being enforced or not enforced. We certainly can have opinions about voting. We don't like somebody. We vote them out whether we win or not. That's not the point. 
Uh, as a Christian, doesn't mean we got to just take everything everybody throws at us. We don't. Paul didn't. And uh, he was really torqued about what happened there. So he writes, you had previous, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. Uh, we're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to get anything out of you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. And again, he was always big on that. You know, we weren't trying to take any money from anybody. Uh, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority to add the support and the respect and all that kind of stuff. He just never, never demanded that stuff. Uh, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, which is an important thing. Uh, if we're going to really have lasting impact in people's lives. Uh, the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, as I just encouraged, is exciting, it's fun, it's some of the neatest things that you'll see God do in terms of miracles in people's lives. It's great fun. But it's not you can just share them and then move on and forget about these people. They didn't just share the gospel. They shared their lives uh, to be able to reach in and connect with these people and help people. At some point, and again, I'm going to be speaking on this uh, in, on Sunday, but on some Sundays coming up. But at some point, the sharing of the gospel is a bit of an inconvenience because you have to invite people into your life. And there's a lot of people that don't like it. Inviting people in life. I got enough stuff. I got my kids. I got my friends. I got my in-laws. I, I got time, no, time for nobody else. Uh, and we're very tribal thinking in our culture today where people have their five, six friends and they don't really spend time with anybody else. Okay, but as Christians, we're not going to change the world if we don't think differently than the tribal-like culture that we have in our country. And we need to invite people into our lives or allow ourselves to be invited into their lives takes a little bit of effort. It's not overwhelming. It's not complicated. It's not horribly suffering. But it takes some effort, just like anything in faith takes some effort. So we didn't just share the gospel, but also our lives with you. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day, night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Doing what? Making tents. Now, that sounds a little odd today because who needs a tent? You know, nobody needs a tent today except the local car dealership who has their tent sale in July. Uh, back then, everybody had tents. It was like the used car market of the day. It was everybody like has to have a car today. Everybody had to have a tent back there. A lot of people lived in it. That was their houses. You know, I mean, tents were a, was a big, thriving, productive thing. The equivalent of this was, you know, for us, maybe I'm working as a carpenter or I was building homes while I was preaching and stuff, earning my own income. So that's basically what he's talking about. As a tent maker, he said, we worked day and night, whatever it took to get the jobs done so we could get it to the customer, so we could get paid, so we could pay for our own needs and not be reliant on you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, 
comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which, is in, which it is indeed at work in you who believe. For brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people, the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews. He's basically pointing out that, you know, people, when they got, became Christians, they just suffered a lot. And he says, you suffered these things from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. I'm going to end here because I don't want to get into a rant here. We'll pick it up next week here. Give you a chance to hang out with uh, your friends and stuff till your kids get out of their programs and stuff like that. But uh, this is really kind of a hot-button little verse I just read. I'll, I'll explain on it uh, next week as uh, we pick it up again in First Thessalonians. Okay, be strong, be blessed, have a great week. Uh, see you in church on Sunday and again next Wednesday night.